preach in Jesus' name this morning. We're going to be continuing uh, our Christian Home series. Got interrupted by about two months or so. And if you can remember back, we were still going through that. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I think sometimes we, at least speaking for myself, I I, I take a lot for granted. Um, we were in Charlevoix this week, and I was just standing in front of Dan and Mary Jo's fridge, and there's some picture of a prairie family on the fridge there, and and, and I was just sitting there looking at that, look at that picture, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you get them all dressed up and they're all lined up and take a picture of them, and you know, it's, you know, I, that that family is really a good family at Prairie. They they contribute. They it's a it's it's a functional family. It's I, I just. I mean, you just have to stop and think, all right? <laughs> you know, you just go through and whatever. But, you know, uh, when you get your Christmas pictures or whatever, lay it out in front of you and just think about it. And, and praise God. Thank God for the contribution that that family is making into our church. And uh, so anyhow, the part on the Christian family that we have the last sermon, I'd do a little bit of review here for you. Um, the question is, how can I give my children a fair chance to live a successful Christian, successful, well-adjusted Christian life? How can I give my children a fair chance? And so far we have, uh, first one was being all there for Christ. And the church being engaged and committed. So, so our giving our Christian, our children a Christian, a fair chance to a well adjusted Christian life starts with the example of the parents. All right. So, and like I told you before, these observations mainly are taken from my experience of 27 years of Maranatha Bible School. Young people that come in and fit are well-adjusted. Young people that have come in are not adjusted. And so the first one was being all there. The second one was accepting accountability for my actions and not blame-shifting. The third one was leading them through their personal challenges or trauma without feeding their immature feelings and babying them. Number four, by remaining emotionally stable in time of crisis, emulating the rock Jesus Christ. Number five, by being genuinely interested and involved in their daily lives versus being a helicopter parent. And that's where we stop with the helicopters. So this morning we're going to go and keep on. Uh, this is a two-part sermon. I think it's going to end up three, I believe. I'm not sure, but. Number six, by embracing a servant lifestyle, and rejecting a what's-in-it-for-me mentality and modeling the rich rewards of being blessed. A well-adjusted child will understand 
that the world does not revolve around them. I heard a joke, uh, and I don't tell jokes in, in the pulpit here, but I will this morning, I guess. But how many millennials does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the answer is one. All they have to do is hold the light bulb up and the world revolves around them. That, okay, it's a joke, but it's serious, all right? The world does not revolve around me. It does not revolve, and, and we can, and we need to have our, our children understand that the revol- the world does not revolve around them. There's other people in the world. And, and if, if you understand, if I understand as a parent that there's other people in the world, and that the a large percentage of the blessing and rewards of being a Christian is involved in servanthood rather than serving myself. If I experience that, if I know that, if I live that, and if I teach my children that, teach your children that the best rewards in life is going to be when you serve other people. You're going to feel the accomplishment. You're going to you're going to feel the blessing. You're going to feel fulfilled. That's the word I want. You're going to feel fulfilled when you reach out to others and you serve others and you see others being blessed and you're a channel of God to to impact the lives of people around you. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, the biggest person that ever impacted my life in servanthood was my dad. He had a business with a hundred employees, but he was the one that, that cleaned the sewers. And I remember... I'm not sure if I told you this, but I remember he came home one day, and I mean, he was elated. He found this machine that had a tank, air tank, and you pumped up the tank, and you hit the button, and this pressure went down the sewer, but you had to plug all the sewer pipes around it, or else you'd be, you know, be all on the ceiling. And this thing would just blow out sewer plugs like nothing, and I mean, he was just delighted that he found this piece of equipment. So, I mean, they put people, you know, they put stuff in the floor drains and people would stand on them and you hit the button, you know, and out everything would go. But that's what I grew up with. I thought that, a, a, you know, that a president of a company did what he would not ask, he would be ashamed to ask somebody else to do. But... Even though he was the president of the company, he did most of the dirty work. I remember he came down, come home one day, he said, lucky. I mean, he said, it's fortunate or whatever word he were that, that I, I'm here for lunch. He said, I was opening a sewer plug and hit a main line of electric or something. And, I mean, there was a big ball of fire. And he said, wonder I wasn't electrocuted. I guess it went through the wrench into the pipe instead of threw him into the floor. That was a better ground. 
But, and I don't remember him sitting, sitting behind a desk. He just didn't sit behind a desk. Of course, I wasn't allowed to tag behind him all the time, too, like I begged to do. So I'm sure he did sit behind a desk because he wouldn't be very effective trying to deal with the son and sit behind a desk at the same time. But really, <clears throat> there are tremendously rich rewards. Number seven, by viewing the perspective of, of others as a positive influence in my life. I'm not sure if you've met someone that has all the answers or not. I have. If you haven't met someone that has all the answers, you probably will sometime in your life, unfortunately. But children pick up, sub subconsciously pick up from their parents how they view the influence of others around their parents. Do they see us as parents appreciating the input of others? Does dad come home from a business meeting and saying, you know, I got my frame of reference expanded to tonight. You know, brother so-and-so or whatever, or the thought was presented in the meeting of this or that and the other. You know, he said, I never thought about it. Absolutely never thought about it. I was going to give an illustration, but it would take too long. Do they see us, us honoring the opinion of, of others and appreciating the broader perspectives in life as something to be thankful for? Do I welcome as a parent? Do they see me welcoming other people's input as being positive? Or do they see me reacting against other people's input as being, you know, that's really pretty stupid. You know, they had a stupid idea, and then somebody else come, but that was the worst one. And, you know, it's like, or is it, we are the might Martins, the mighty, mighty Martins. We know it all. We have the answers. You know, we all go through life with really, really narrow perspective. I have the Martin perspective. Dwight has the Burkholder perspective. We have all different, you know, we have, we have our spec perspectives and they're generally fairly narrow. And they're built around things that I have observed in my life, but the, you know, other people observe the other things in their life and they understand principles in the scriptures that I haven't even caught on to yet. Do I appreciate that? Do I welcome that? What is the brotherhood perspective at the dining room table? What is it? At your house, at my house, what is the brotherhood perspective 
at the dining room table. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I'm dead serious with, with myself and with you. One thing we need to really work on as, as, just as a Christian, not necessarily as a congregation, but our world is fraught with groups of people that do not have a brotherhood perspective. And their congregations struggle and struggle and struggle because a lack of appreciation. And, and I'm wondering, just wondering, Does the perspective of brotherhood in our COVID crisis determine how well congregations function? This is a very, you know, it's, it's very broad perspective. There's all kind of, all kind of perspectives and whatever. And I don't, I don't have the answers to them all, but what I am saying is, if there is not a foundation of brotherhood and appreciation for each other, strongly underlying any issue, it's not going to be resolved. Maybe some people be forced into something they don't want to do or, or whatever, you know, but it's not effectively going to be solved. There's not going to be effective communication. And so, what do I think about my brotherhood? Do I as a parent have a healthy respect for brotherhood? Do I have a healthy respect for leadership? Am I willing, this really gets tough, am I willing to admit I have a lousy attitude when I have one? So what am I doing to develop an appreciation for, uh, for others in the minds of my children? When I talk about others, how much of it is positive, how much of it is negative? And I told you of this experience, and I just, you know, one weekend we went to a cabin with our friends. And somehow or the other, we got started talking about people, and and we decided, I mean, within two or three hours after we got there, that we're going to call each other out if it's negative. For this weekend, if it's negative, we're going to call each other out. And it was one of the most eye-opening weekends that I have had in my life. I mean, there was buzzers going off all over the place. You get in a conversation, and up comes a negative comment. (laughs) Wait a minute. Anyhow. So we do have to deal with the thing of we commonly called gossip, and that is talking about people 
when negatively when I am not part of the problem nor am I part of the solution. I'm just passing information just because it's juicy. If I'm not part of the problem, I'm not part of the solution, then I need to zip it up. So anyhow, the Bible teaches that we should esteem others better than ourselves. How am I practically putting that into life and in the life of my children and their example? I truly, honestly feel that this person is way better than me. They surpass me spiritually, emotionally, their emotional stability. Brother Lynn said that he prayed for wisdom and he's not sure if God gave it to him. I didn't really want to take them to task publicly, but I think I will just a little bit. My observation, Brother Lynn has made many, many wise choices based on the Bible. That is wisdom. Fear of the Lord. I'm not sure that maybe we understand it ourselves. Maybe, maybe we're looking for some kind of a emotional thing or a bright flash or something. I'm not sure, but just knowing the Bible, making choices based on the Bible. Um, and so I have high respect for others that understand the scriptures way better than I do. I appreciate them in my life. So do my children understand that. Number eight, by respecting others and their property. Our children are born with this perspective that what's mine's mine and what's yours is mine. And it doesn't matter how you think about it, what you're, whatever, but the world revolves around me again. It's an entitlement mentality. It's a poor me mentality. I'm not sure if we ever grow out of it. But we are dramatically influenced by our culture around us. That I deserve this, I deserve that. Just go down the highway, read the signs. You deserve more. We need to teach our children that what's mine, God has given me. And God expects me to work hard for it. And I shouldn't expect somebody else to do the work and I get the results. Occasionally, we have a situation arrive at Bible school where personal possessions go missing. Now, not something you can go look for. 
because it's usually snacks or candy. All right? They haven't grown up enough to know that the candy on the next bunk does not belong to me. Oh, I thought that everything in the dorm belonged to everybody. Really? I don't think so. You know, so where's the candy going? So, I mean, and after a while, it's just kind of like everybody kind of finds out about this. And, and they locate the thief. Just somebody walks by and takes my peanut butter cup. And after a while, all my peanut butter cups are gone. And nobody said, can I have, like, can I have, I'm going to town Friday, and I like peanut butter cups. You got a whole bunch. It's like, can I have two or three? I'll re- give you four back, all right? Because, you, you know, it's like a little bargain. So I know where they went. I know one is, I'm getting those. All right, so we understand. My dad had a pipe vice go missing. Never knew where the pipe, pipe vice went. Twenty years later, a relative called him up and said, uh, we have a pipe vice. I have a pipe vice that I borrowed from you a while ago. Um, someday when you're coming by, you can pick it up. not even have a sense of obligation like he should deliver it after 20 years. Anyhow, I was taught by my dad that if you borrow something, you took it back in as good condition or better condition than what you borrowed it. If nothing else, clean it up. All right. I mean, if it's a jackhammer or something and it comes dirty and greasy and whatever, use a jackhammer. Take it back cleaned up. Take some time and clean it up. And if it has a frayed cord, maybe you can put a frayed cord on it. Um, A good cord. (laughs) If it had a frayed cord, put a good cord on it. In other words, and offer to pay for them. You know, it's like... Give them a 20 or something. I mean, you know, if it's, the rental costs 50 and, and you borrowed it, I mean, you, you at least give them 20 bucks or something. And if, if they turn it down, make sure that they know that if they need something, you know, I, this works both ways. I went to school with a boy that never had potato chips. His family was poor. Really poor. They struggled financially. But I I didn't like sitting beside him because you know what would happen? His hand would get in my lunchbox and take some potato chips every single time that I sat beside him. And I felt bad for him. And I don't know I made a big issue out of it. But he wasn't taught that potato chips and Dennis just... Lunchbox belonged to Dennis, and it doesn't belong to Wayne. All right? Number nine. This is going to be the last and probably going to take a little bit of time here. And it's somewhat controversial, so if you throw me out in the street, I guess I'll just have to walk home. We can help our children have a well-adjusted, fair chance if we 
refused to excuse my child's behavior with popular psychological labeling. Now, that's a mouthful. All right. So I, I, get me fair, get me straight here. I grew up in a lot simpler culture than the children today. All right. Things would seem just like if you were did well, you were rewarded. And if you didn't, you got your backside warmed up. All right. So that was just how it was. We didn't have labels for misbehavior. That my dad or my mom would say, well, Denny is afflicted with some letters. A, B, D, C, or A, A, C, or D, A, C, or O, C, C, or what? You know what I mean? And so, I mean, that's just, that's the way he is, and, you know, he can't really help it, so you have to just understand that he got this letters thing that he has a problem with. I call it accountability maneuvering. All right? I am accountable to my family. I am accountable as a dad. I'm accountable for the behavior that happens on my property and in my home. And if I don't want to accept that, then ACD, well, uh, Whatever it is, that's pretty handy. It's accountability maneuvering, all right? I'm I'm, I'm attempting to maneuver myself out of an accountability position by making letters that my children have. And you add to that that any, any type of personal discipline between me and my child will affect their psychological ability to function in the world. You put those two together, and and I'm telling you, you're going to have a wild household. Things are not going to go well. And we might as well make up make up our minds that, that every child's different. I understand every child responds to parental authority different. I, I understand all the variables. You know, once you think you got your one child figured out, another one comes along and it's completely different. I mean, in our house, the difference between Rolanda and Mary Jo is day and night. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, Rolanda I mean, she's emphatic and opinionated, and her eyes get big, and, and I, I tease her. I say, you know, I see the whites all the way around. I know very well that you got a strong opinion about something, and she makes these big eyes. And, and, and Mary Jo's slight and just lady to the core. I mean, just lady to the core. Now, she got spunk. You don't push her around. But I, I, I'm serious. The two bit understand all that. All right, I understand all that. I understand that one child will take more 
disciplined than the other. I, I understand all that. But in our culture today, there is a theory that's out there that evil should not be associated with pain. All right? If your child does something, it should pain shouldn't have anything to do with this. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible teaches. And I'm not telling you how you need to discipline your children. But I am saying, if you disconnect evil with pain, you are setting your child up to be maladjusted all the way through life. Because rest assured, evil connects with pain in the Bible. If you reject God, you will land in hell, and it will burn, and it will be painful. The rich man in hell was not having a party. He was begging for mercy. He wanted Lazarus to go to his brothers and say, Don't ever come here. There's pain here. And he's expecting us as parents that our understand, our children understand a connection between evil and pain. It's no party in jail. And if our children grow up without the connection of evil and pain, they're going to be a problem at home. They're going to be a problem in the culture. They're going to be a problem for the local police department. And let's not fool ourselves. Evil always culminates in pain. Neglect culminates in pain. Failure to discipline culminates in pain and shame. Somehow, there's people that believe, and I, don't, I hope they're not here. Somehow, I think there's people that believe that their children can misbehave, they can act out, that's the words they use now. They can do all kinds of things. They can be rebellious. They can do all these things. But somehow, I don't need to address that. And somehow, by some magical whatever, they end up being pillars in the church. I, I, I don't know. Folks, we cannot assume that something magical is going to happen and turn a rebel into a saint. Now, I know at conversion, there's a complete change of heart. But a rebel before con- conversion is going to struggle after conversion with issues. Because their parents didn't care. 
I was appalled when Ryan went to uh, Belize. I called I called uh, one of the board members. I'm saying, okay, so what's what's the culture around there? What is what's the health of the church? What kind of a youth group do they have? Like, I want to know what's going on in Belize before I'm going to release my son to go there in the mission. I want to know what's going on for his spiritual protection. I know the culture is bad. I know that practically every girl in Belize wants to marry an American man so they can get into the country, okay? So the girls are throwing themselves at the guys, pretty much. And he said, I find this, I find this conversation interesting. And I said, why? Parents don't call. Very unusual that somebody would call. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just simply saying, he said, it's very unusual that a parent will call about the things that you're, you're, you're concerned about. He said, I think they all should call, but they don't. Whatever Junior or Mary or whoever decides to go, they just kind of choose their mission, and and if that's what they want to do, that's just what they want to do. And I guess by some miraculous whatever that the Lord's going to take care of them while they're there, and, and I understand they do, and whatever. But where are the parents? Where are they? Why? Why don't they call? Why aren't they concerned? We're just boy in school. I get the application, cooperation with authority, home and church, fine. So it's fine, come in. You know, Morgan gets here, he starts doing this, he's doing that. He's, he's not following the rules. He, you know, he's a mess in the dorm. And then he decides that he wants to do stuff at night. So he, so he's out prowling around in the dorm at night, which is, not according to rules, and I get after that's not good enough, and so he goes into the office and he hacks into the principal's computer and then goes back in the dorm and you know it's like you can get into the principal's computer by doing this, that, and the other, whatever, and he starts that he's too dumb to know that what goes around comes around or what comes around goes around or whatever. And, and so we call the parents, and the parents says, "Oh, he has he has ADD." Oh, really? Yeah, he has ADD. So they write us a two-page letter on all the problems that this boy has with his ADD, and it's explained by 
They talk, took him to a Dr. Amen somewhere in California. Leading ADD specialists in the United States. And so Dr. Amen said, oh yeah, he has ADD and, and, and all this stuff. And, 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 and the reason why he has ADD, it's, it's kind of like electrical panel up here. And, and so a situation approaches you, your mind processes it, you decide, yeah, do I want to get out of bed and hack the student, uh, the principal's computer or don't I? All right, so you have these two things here and, and you can decide, yes, I will or no, I won't. Well, the problem with this boy is when this comes in here, the wires are bare. They don't have insulation on the wires. All right, so, so this goes, to yes, I will. And he can't help it. That's the problem. He doesn't have insulation on his wires. The, 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 no, I won't gets left out because the short between the yes, I it just went to the yes, I will. And, and so he can't help himself. So you need to give him an extra hug in the morning. You got to do this stuff. And, Really? The maneuvering. Who is maneuvering out of their responsibility? Dad and mom. I could get pretty upset about this, all right? Something's wrong at home. So we take him in and we say, okay, We gave you one more chance. I mean, we could, we could expel you. No questions asked. You're out of bed. You're out of the dorm. You're in the office. You're on the computer and you're hacking into it. Five in one shot. Could send you home. No questions asked. But we'll give you, oh, give me one more chance. Give me, oh, just give me one more chance. Okay. We'll give you one more chance. But we're dead serious about this. You are way out of bounds. There is zero tolerance. All right. We are dead serious. One more bad move, you're going home. Guess what? We grew wires on his brain. Cooperative as could be. He come to the window. I'd like to do this. Uh, is that acceptable or not? Uh, no, I don't think I would do that. You know, that's, that's kind of out of bounds or whatever. Yeah, that, that's fine. Sure. Now, I knew Maranatha did a lot for people, but I didn't know they grew wires on people's brains, in, in people's brains. He was never told no. He was never told, this is the line, that's it. He was told, you got a problem, and if I hug you enough, it's going to go away. And by the way, just as an aside, Mr. Amen's wife left him and took $600 million. How many wires does Mr. Amen have that's shortened out? Where did he get to $600 million just to pay his wife off? 
from the people who want to maneuver out of their responsibility in this whole scenario Howard has taught school for years okay so I lean on Howard pretty bad good you know and so we're in the office and I turned around and said Howard I got a question for you and he said sure I said is there such a thing as ADD Oh, yeah. Occasionally, he said, it's real. It is most likely A-D-A-M. Now, you know what that spells? A-D-A-M. Who was that man? Adam, right? That's what it is. A-D-A-M. And until we as parents deal with the Adam in our life and we deal with the Adam in our children, we're going to have big problems. It takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of grace of God, a lot of well, a lot of everything to raise children. But man- accountability maneuvering is going to hurt us big time. We need to give our children a fair chance by loving them deeply enough to discipline them and discipline them fairly. Holding them accountable for their misbehavior and their disobedience and praise them when they do well. That will give them a fair chance in that area of their life. 